Hello and welcome to Switch It. We're back in time for the ashes and ready to make ourselves comfortable over the festive season, like an elderly relative who dominates the TV remote and constantly goes on about the good old days when England occasionally won a test in Australia. That is, assuming we get much in the way of test cricket over the next few weeks, between anxiety over the Omicron variant and the influence of La Nina on Brisbane's weather system, the Ashes is threatening to become a show about nothing. But at least we have plenty to talk about while it rains, given the development since our last pod. Ben Stokes is in, Tim Payne is out, and Perth remains doubtful. Joining me to poke the slightly soggy embers are two of ESPN Crick Info's finest. Hardened veterans of several tours down under, UK editor Andrew Miller, for whom night shifts hold no fear so long as he's got a brew handy, and deputy editor Andrew McGlashan, <laughs> aka the acceptable face of Australian cricket. Good to see you, uh, chaps. I'm sure I don't need to remind you that it's now been uh, more than a decade since England's last Ashes win in Australia, the uh, SCG in 2011. You were both there, I believe, doing the sprinkler dance up in the press box. Fond memories? Certainly were. Certainly were. It was, yeah. Well, I think Nash was one end, I was the other. We had, we had a pincer movement, I think, on, on, on that one. He was up, 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 in, up in the press box, the far end. So we had, had, a, had, a, had a full view of the Barmy Army. That final morning was one of the weirdest, um, most extraordinary days of cricket I've ever watched. That sense that it was, it was already over. England had won the Ashes. It was just a matter of going through the motions, picking up a couple of wickets. Uh, the Barmy Army were singing their songs. Paul Collingwood dispatched down to find leg just because it was his final day of Test Cricket. Go soak it up. Absolutely no jeopardy whatsoever. And then I remember spending the evening um, on on um, ESPN in America, in fact, trying to explain to Americans why this was actually kind of a big deal. Um, that, that was fun. It was a, it was it was it was early days of ESPN's tie up with Crick Info and uh, trying trying to trying to trying to make it make it work. I'm probably grateful I've not been on ESPN America trying to explain the last two weeks because that would have taken quite a bit of explaining with the uh, various things that have uh, developed um, on both sides of the world, but uh, perhaps particularly down here, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the moments to come. Yeah, well, indeed, developments are plenty. Um, Nasha, how how's Sydney looking today? I, I believe you've had the wettest, coolest November ever. Sounds a bit like Lancashire weather. Uh, yeah, I was feeling right at home. I think it would have swung round corners for Jimmy out there today. Um, so yeah, he, he'd have taken six for twenty out, out there today. But actually, uh, today w- was glorious. It was about twenty-seven degrees, sunny. The um, the English journalist pack have started to arrive into Sydney today. Actually, I was speaking to a couple of them after we um, did the Jack Leach press conference this morning. Um, just sending my greetings to them, and they're now obviously having to do this. 72 hour isolation now because of these developments with covid um but yes they were greeted by sunshine here which is not what the players have been greeted by in brisbane if you're keeping any eye on players social media which is a lot of very wet pictures of brisbane at the moment um yeah a lot of indoor training um 29 overs of cricket for england and zero overs for the australian camp although they have obviously been playing some domestic cricket in the first part of the season so yes um there's been some strange build-up to ashes series in the time I've been covering, in the time that Miller's been covering, and you, Alan. But this, for so many reasons, is one of the weirdest. <laughs> well, yes. Um, and, and I imagine one thing you didn't think you'd be covering uh, during the build-up was, was the uh, contents of uh, Tim Payne's uh, phone messaging. <laughs> I-, I wondered what you were going to say then. Uh, yes, uh, Tim, Payne, uh, t- Tim Payne's phone messages. Um, yes, I mean, I think I've told you both this story already, but I'll, I'll send it to a wider audience. Um, yes, we were having our first... Um, Sydney office get-together since restrictions had started to loosen here after our winter lockdown. We had a, we were in the beer garden just 10 minutes up the road from where I live. I was on, was on my second uh, cold beer of the day. And yes, you get the alert from the CA media officer going, Tim Payne is speaking in half an hour. Uh, I get some clarity and then, yeah, basically the texts start flying in that he's um, going to resign as captain. And I was immediately trying to find the nearest Uber uh, to get straight back home so that, yes, we could handle this story. So, yes, I was not best pleased on the timing of that one. And Miller will attest it's not the first or the last time that I've been caught in a cricketing chaos, um, so to speak, um, uh, overseas. Or as not, this isn't overseas for me now, but um, sort of thing. that I have a few stories of that kind. But, yes, and then happened to be a week later was when he actually then walked away from the game which what looks like completely so um a reminder to myself not to make plans for a friday i think is the is the way to go but yes it's been a dramatic few weeks down here and we now have captain pat cummins 
Yeah, you did, you did yes, answer the nickname Jonah for a while, I seem to recall. Every time, every time we went out to a game, something went wrong. <laughs> I, still, I, I, I still get Facebook reminders, Miller, of various messages I've sent to you over the years of, you're there again, Nasha. Well, it's no bloody surprise, is it, that this is happening? So, yes, I think it's another one we can add to the list. <laughs> ne- never leave your desk, Nasha. Um, <laughs> Miller, uh, you've, been, um, you've been across a rather more serious story here, uh, which, which we'll, we'll, we'll probably touch on um, a bit more fully later, but uh, following Azim Rafiq's appearance in Parliament, um, the ECB's response and so on, well, suffice to say the spectre of, of racism in the English game um, is another cloud hanging over this series. Isn't it just? I mean, it, it is fascinating. The the amount of testimony that's coming out, um, it's, re- it's all revolving around it's institutional racism rather than racism per se, as far as I'm concerned, which I do actually think is, a, is, is almost a different thing. I, you know, the uh, Rafiq himself has obviously said in the DCMS hearing that he doesn't want to focus on individuals and, you know, himself included, as it happens with with the with the, 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 the anti-Semitic remarks that he made. But it's all all feeds into a wider sense that uh, things have been said and things have been done in this game for far too many years that have become normalised. You know, dressing room banter. I mean, Monty Pantasar wrote, wrote, wrote a column about it in, in the Telegraph. I mean, frankly, it was, looked pretty heavily ghosted, but I don't dispute a lot of the sentiments he was trying to express from, from his perspective there that, uh, you know, there is a fine line. And this was this was clumsily put, I think, in the in the report that got suppressed by Yorkshire that there is a fine line between racism and banter when it's when it comes down to trying to create a, a team ethic and trying to create the you know the, the the fun and the and the unity required to go out and win cricket matches. So there's a huge amount on trial at the moment, and a huge amount that will come out, a huge amount that needs to come out. Um, but it has been it's been fascinating, and I've been I've been talking separately to you know players from years ago who. You know, have views that I, I think the game has not evolved as fast as it should have done in 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 the past well, twenty, thirty, forty years, frankly, let alone the last five, ten. But if you look at the way in which social media has brought a lot of this to the surface and brought a lot of sentiments that maybe were expressed um, ten years ago that simply can't be expressed now, to judge people by the standards that that were held now and condemn them by those standards is is awkward. So you know, Michael Vaughan, case in point. I think there's a there's a certain amount of what's gone on with Michael Vaughan and whether or not you know he gets cancelled for 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 his comments um, at Yorkshire. I think there's a certain amount of reflection that he will have to do on his social media presence and his antagonism and the, the way that he does seem to wind people up on in in a public forum uh, compared to the the out and out racism that that, that perhaps is the accusations flying around. It's it's incredibly awkward, incredibly delicate. And I think it, it it does need to be handled sens- sens- sensitively. Uh, I thought the you know Tom Harrison has had had some pretty rough times in in recent weeks trying to toe the line between uh, between sort of you know admitting the game was institutionally racist, which he 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 kind of <coughs> held back from doing so at the DCMS hearing, but equally you know trying to drive through this new action plan that came out last week. It's a bit wishy washy in my opinion, but you know he has had he's had the rights sentiments all along I think ever, ever since he joined frankly since 2015 he's tried to bring the game out into a modern light and a more inclusive light and I think we're all kind of kind to of begin to understand what that means now uh, which again is part of the part of the healing process I suppose so god knows um, it's incredibly complicated and final word I'd, I'd say on that I've I have felt sorry a little bit for Joe Root in the midst of all this Root was picked out by Rafiq as one of two guys along with Jason Gillespie who actually did emerge well from the Yorkshire saga in that you know they they were they were supportive and he said that all along and Root now is in this awkward position where he's trying to focus on an ashes trying to you know build for what should be the absolute zenith of his career and he's got all manner of problems as we talk about with the rain to deal with the last thing he needs is to be hanging out teammates to dry while he's the other side of the world with comments that you know may may or may not you know, reflect on what was said years ago in the dressing room, it's not helpful for him to have to address that now. I'm sure come the new year, get this behind him, and do his job in the short term, and come the new year and 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 a new opportunity to to address this properly and meet with Rafiq probably, um, the chance to have a real sort of truth and reconciliation out of this. Uh, I I think now for him in particular, difficult time to address it. 
Yeah, of course, um, nuanced debates about banter and the ashes uh, go hand in hand, as we know. Um, <laughs> the, the, Root has been asked to, to, to address this subject uh, and will be uh, again, doubtless. More importantly, the ECB uh, have produced their action plan and uh, we will be sort of, uh, well, we'll touch on that a bit later and, and we'll see the effects of it over the coming uh, weeks and months. Um, to the Ashes then, a week out from the first test um, at the venue formerly known as the Gabatoire. Let's try to get a gauge on proceedings. Um, we've mentioned the 2010-11 series uh, when England's meticulous planning saw them head into the Brisbane test on the back of tour matches in Perth, Adelaide and a four-day game in Hobart. They beat Western Australia, drew with uh, South Australia and then able to send their first choice attack on uh, to prepare for the test while the backups dismantled Australia A. Um, it's both a reflection of the compressed nature of modern touring and the COVID times we live in that this has been uh, quite a different touring experience so far, uh, Miller. Yeah, uh, hasn't it just? I mean, I, you know, it is extraordinary to think that, um, you know, a lot of the talk coming into this series was how, I mean, I did an interview with Matt Pryor sort of talking about how England won in 2010 with the same sort of bowling lineup they're going to go in with this time, as in, you know, not so much out and out pace as out and out discipline. And that's something that England can achieve. But yeah, one thing they did have on that series was military style planning, even down to a boot camp beforehand. I mean, the, the, the exhaustive efforts that went into winning that were almost as exhaustive as the efforts that went into winning the 2019 World Cup in, in that pretty much everything was thrown at that tour as this is this is this is our chance to nail it get it right and the fruits fruits of, of that were, were, were seen and you know we're still we're still dining out on them to a degree this time so different for so many reasons but you know what I, I there's a part of me that thinks this is actually not a bad thing for England in that expectations are rock bottom now nobody's nobody's expecting them to to be able to come out there hit the ground running in brisbane but then nor are the aussies the aussies have had their their, their warm-ups wiped out as well no one's had any practice at all it's going to be a case of two two blind drunk drunkards brawling in the street essentially it's, it, 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 who knows what will happen i don't know how how to pick a winner out of this one except that you would imagine that you're going to have to have the the big players standing up. And, you know, I look at Ben Stokes as a classic example. Here's a guy we assumed was going to come into this series a bit rusty compared to everyone else because he's, you know, he's, he's for all, as we all know, he's been out of the game for ages. But actually, you know, he's going to be coming in pretty much as rusty as anyone else. Uh, and, you know, if it's a case of, you know, big personalities step into the gabber and try to try to you know, land the first land the first blow. I mean, there's a good opportunity there. And, you know, Pat Cummins will be, you know, likewise new new Australian captain. He'll be cock of the walk. He'll be one to land that first blow. Steve Smith's got a point to prove. Joe Root's got a point to prove. I think it could be fascinating. I, I think Test cricket is actually better. And we've seen this over the years. It is better when there are flaws in the seams. When the worst, worst sort of Test cricket, as far as I'm concerned, is when one team is outstanding and another team is terrible. And you, you, it's inevitable what's going to happen. It's going to be a steamroller, whether it's over two, three, four or five days. It's going to be inevitable. There's nothing inev inevitable about what's coming up now, uh, thanks to the inability of either side to, to get any preparation. So, yeah, let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just have a ding-dong and see what happens. <laughs> two, two drunks going at it in the street. Enough about the Brisbane nightlife. Um, Nasha, um, I mean, pandemic cricket in Australia... Uh, has uh, has its challenges, um, as you'll know from the past year or so. Australia haven't played a lot of cricket um, in in that time, um, yeah. and so you know th there are uncertainties around COVID restrictions. We, we're not really sure where the fifth test is going to be played, um, and Ben Stokes hasn't played any cricket since. Uh, July, I think, but Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, David Warner, and Steve Smith haven't played a first-class game um, since uh, the 2020-21 season. Um, I mean, in, in times gone by, that would be kind of unthinkable that that that, that um, Test match would begin with with uh, players who who haven't hit a red ball in anger in that sort of time frame. Um, but uh, Australia cancelled their intra-squad game, and 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 that's what we're we're going to be seeing in the next next week or so. Um, as Miller says, it could be fun. It, it certainly could. Um, and just to go back to the point that Miller made about 
the sort of the boot camp experience that England had uh, ten years ago. I mean, I think you could probably liken two weeks in hotel quarantine to an equivalent of a of a boot camp. And there has actually been some. I'll call it spin because everyone's looking for a positive line at the moment. But there has been some talk that actually, because they were they were allowed enough freedom to train, they weren't fully locked in their rooms. They they were able to move a little bit around the hotel. That it was actually it did become a little bit like a little two week training block for each of these groups of players that went through um, this quarantine. Far from perfect, and the players are sick to the back teeth of it now. And it's one of the big reasons why highly unlikely now that Perth is going to go ahead because England did not sign up to do any more quarantine stints while they're here in Australia, neither did the Australia players for, for that respect. I mean, the other thing that I think I'll add about the build-up, and I think we've seen it quite a bit over the last two years of COVID-era cricket, that I do think that players have shown remarkable adaptability in this era because I don't think we'd say that the quality of test cricket has actually lessened that much over, if anything, I think we've had some fantastic test cricket, I think, over the last... 18, 24 months, we obviously saw the Test match India-New Zealand just a couple of days ago that finished nine wickets down. New Zealand had flown in and played a T20i two days after going out of the World Cup, and albeit they lost that series, but they came into a Test match there, no preparation, and did what many sides can't do in India and draw a Test match. So I do think that, I do think actually that, I think players have actually started to come to realise that warm-up games, particularly the way they'd gone, and it started, obviously, Miller will remember, it started in the Duncan Fletcher era where they sort of lost any value, really, because they were 14 versus 14, and players could walk off whenever, at any time. They became glorified middle practice. And I think players now have become quite likely to have control of their own training. So um, one of the reasons Australia cancelled this three-day game that they were going to have, partly because it was so wet today you needed a boat to get to the ground, but the next two days do look a bit better. But the players do think, actually, I can get what I need out of bowling to David Warner in the middle. It doesn't need to be scored. It doesn't. There doesn't need to be a record of it. There doesn't need to be video of it. I'm still bowling to David Warner. It's still Stephen Smith facing Joss Hazelwood. They actually, I think they're getting to a feeling where that's almost maybe not perfect, but it's damn good preparation. So I think that's part of, I think that's part of it. So I, and I, I, I agree with Mill. I do think both teams will sort of start from a fairly even keel on that first morning at the Gabba. I mean, it might be that someone like Amanus Labashain, for example, who has been playing shield cricket, he's had five games this season for Queensland. He's, as usual, scored a couple of hundreds, appealed a lot for a lot of LBWs when he's been bowling, that sort of thing that Marnus likes to do. But he, it might be that for him, for example, if he can grind out an 80 because he's played some cricket, that might be the sort of deciding factor. And also, if, if a David Warner can just bring that mentality he showed at the T20 World Cup, a, a sort of a 50 before lunch on the first day at the Gabba might just rest the momentum between these two teams that don't really know what each other's going to be playing like. So it might be those smaller contributions from guys who are just a bit battle-hardened either through experience or having actually played a bit of cricket the last few months, they'll have to sort of carry their teammates with them. So, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, all the stuff we're going to be writing over the next week, it's going to be a lot of guessing because normally you at least have some sort of gauge of form and fitness and kind of you have a few innings to go off, even if it's just one or two games. I mean... Now it's a week leading in, and we're basically not going to know till that coin goes up at the Gabba, almost what the teams look like. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, arguably uh, in in the sort of era of bubble cricket, the away teams have, have uh, had a bit of a, a leveling um, uh, of of uh, fortunes. We've seen India win in Australia, uh, in India. Almost winning in England, uh, that one's still still up for debate. Uh, New Zealand ca- came here and won in in the, in the summer. Um, Miller, but I mean, England would presumably have preferred to get more than twenty nine overs in the middle out of their uh, well, so far five scheduled days of play in in uh, in Brisbane. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, I mean, Ben Stokes, case in point, just you know, just to see where he's at. It's all it's, it's guesswork for us trying to do previews it's guesswork for the England management to know exactly where Ben Stokes's head is at and where his body's at after his long layoff so it would have been really useful to see him in action Joss Butler's never played a red ball game in Australia so again it would be quite nice to see him in action and you know matters of team balance I mean how you know Jack Leach was talking about it yesterday about how hopefully it gives him an opportunity to get back into the side now that Stokes is there well he's if Stokes isn't able to provide that balance, if he's not match fit to do so, then you know it it, it makes that more awkward selection as well. Um, Anderson Broad, I mean, you know they're so long in the tooth. I'm sure they can just just drop it on a length, but you know they they are also long in the tooth. So I dare say a little bit of a trot beforehand might be useful to make sure no no quads or, or hamstrings or, or 
calves go pop on that first morning. You know, there's, there's a lot at stake here. Um, but that's always the case because it's an ashes. I, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to assume that just because it, it think preparation hasn't been perfect, it's it's been terrible. I, I think Nash has got a point about that 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 opportunity to get your just get your your head on. And Root himself was talking about it the other day, saying it's it's really a mental game now. You know, get your get your get your head in that mental space, which is what players have had to do for years already. I mean, you know, every every start of every tour, you know, the question comes in: how how are you going to make that transition from playing T20s to Tests? And every answer is exactly the same as the previous one. Well, we've been doing it all my life, mate. You know, <laughs> this is nothing new, frankly. So you know, they'll they'll, they'll find a way. They always do, and um, I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, just I, I just noticed before we recorded this that um, Stuart Broad on Insta was posting his step count from walking around Brisbane and it was something Jack Leach said in that press conference this morning down here that they've actually, walking around at the moment is almost a way that they're getting miles in their legs for the bowlers. It seemed that it's almost extraordinary, but they're figuring, look, if, if I, because I, I saw one of Stuart Broad's tweets was a sort of a motivational message from inside the gym in Brisbane saying that fast bowlers can run 23Ks or something during a day's play and the next slide was he'd done 14Ks around Brisbane just on foot so I mean clearly that's taking taking it to a to a quirky level but they are they are really just trying to get miles just get movement get miles in their feet just build up that resilience board of course is coming back from this injury that curtailed his um, home summer so that's one of the scenarios where you really would like at least a day mm-hmm. of bowling under some sort of match intensity but they are having to get really creative with how they measure who's ready, um, kind of especially around the Ben Stokes situation and stuff, and who can play back-to-back tests, because obviously you have the dynamic of wanting... So Australia have it as well with Mitchell, the Mitchell Stark question, but England will have it too about you want your pink ball specialist bowlers right for Adelaide. You don't want, say, to Jimmy, to, to what Miller said, to, to pop a calf because he's not quite ready for Brisbane and can't play in Adelaide because you think he's a banker for wickets with the pink ball in Adelaide same with Australia and Mitchell Stark they've got a bit of a decision to make over is Jai Richardson right to get a game uh, the feeling is they'll go Mitchell Stark for the first two tests but that pink ball test being second does add some interesting layers to the selection dynamics if you are concerned about fast bowlers backing up for consecutive tests uh, and I'm sure you've both got your your favourite um, Brisbane sites uh, that you'd be taking a trip out of the hotel to go and see. Um, were you in that position, uh, Nasha? On, on you mentioned pink ball test there with Perth. Um, I, th- I think the uh, was it the chief executive said it was fifty fifty um, during the week. Uh, what are the options if if that doesn't go ahead? I know Hobart's been sort of lobbying. Uh, there's been some talk reports here of, of a possible uh, additional day-night test at the MCG. Yeah, so basically the where we stand is I think 50-50 for Perth is now on the um, on the upside sort of thing. I think it's even receded more than that in the last 24 hours down here. Mm-hmm. Um, even even the even the WA sports minister came out today and said, "Yeah, we'd love to have an Ashes test, but gee, living two years without COVID's been great." So when your when your sports minister is basically saying, sorry, COVID free over the ashes, um, even though it's probably a minuscule risk of the ashes to bringing in COVID if it's just the players in a bubble, then I think we're looking towards heading towards the non-starter territory for Perth. So so the options and yes, the the second day night test is looming partly because. Um, because of the size of this fine country that I now live in, you can basically cover so many time zones down here that the broadcasters effectively get a second day-night test. When there's a test in Perth, the play finishes here in Sydney about 9 o'clock in the evening. So you get that prime time final session. Um, So basically there's a push the broadcasters want to replicate that, which would mean if you'd move to the East Coast, then it would have to be a day-night test, and the MCG is priming itself for a pitch, both the actual pitch, they've already started work on a second one, and the broader pitch to Cricket Australia. Um, I didn't prepare any of this, you know, this is just coming right off. This is <laughs> just, amazing. Just, like, this is just, just, you know, just, just gold. Get I mean, your transcribe it. Yeah. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, they, so, so they're making their play to, to cricket Australia. The other options, yes. So there's the there's the political hot potato option of Hobart, which if CA were going strictly by their mandate of taking cricket everywhere in Australia, then it's hard to argue against Hobart. Um, Tim Payne would, they, uh, you know, be, be a shot there. Well, <laughs> I was going to bring the Tim Payne angle into this because obviously <laughs> when they were when they were first pitching for the, the Hobart Test, there was the emotional attachment of it very likely being a farewell. For Tim Payne, now events seem to have overtaken that. Tasmanian cricket or Cricket Tasmania are insistent 
that their very bombastic statement that their chairman issued basically saying that Cricket Australia are a disgrace with how they've handled Tim Payne does not in any way influence the decision <laughs> on when a test match, whether a test match goes there. Now, strictly by the letter of the CA rule book, it probably shouldn't, but we know how cricket politics works that it, I'm sure it's going to have some. I'm sure Nick Hockley is looking there going, do we really want to or, or something like that? So, And then you've got capacity things around, around Hobart. I think it's probably, I think at best it's a, 13, 15,000 seater there. You've got the MCG obviously so big. We know how so big the MCG is, 90,000 people. Imagine being able to sell that for an Ashes, potentially an Ashes decider. The other ground is the mix is the SCG here. Um, concern there is two pitches literally back to back. I think there's a bit of concern about whether they'd be able to turn that around. The other outside bet is Canberra. But again, that's a capacity issue. That's only about 10,000 there. So I think if you're a betting person right now, you you'd you'd be hard-pressed to look past a, a second Melbourne test and, and very likely a, a pink ball game. But who knows the way that these things have changed over the weeks and months. Um, I mean, in one way, it still wouldn't surprise me if we ended up somehow in Perth. Just just the way. I really don't think it will. It does feel more finite now, the last couple of days. But who knows? Um, yeah, but hey, be, I mean, yeah, second pink ball test. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't think England would mind that, really, because, I mean, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I think... The more bowler friendly the test matches are, the better England's chances. I think if I think if you're in conditions where 500 is a good score, albeit they've got Ben Stokes back and Joe Root's the best batsman in the world, you still probably struggle to see England pitching up for 450, 500 on a regular basis. That's just not the style of I know they've had tried to do under the Chris Silverwood era, but they seem to have lost the touch a little bit of late. Um, whereas with Marnus Lavashane, Steve Smith, a rejuvenated David Warner. Um, you might feel that a batting heavy series might favour Australia. So I think if, hmm. and certainly Jimmy Anderson wouldn't mind a second chance with the pink ball, I don't think. Yeah, well, uh, we'll rack that up as another psychological blow for England then. Um, on the uh, on the phony war front, uh, I'll, I'll put this uh, to, to both of you in, in turn. Um, phony war part one, Miller. Uh, Owen Morgan said it would have no bearing, but England um, thrashed uh, Australia royally uh, in Dubai uh, at the uh, at the T20 World Cup. But phony war part two for you, Nasha. Um, Australia won the tournament, so Yabu sucks for all that. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, it's, it's, it's already 1-1 going in, isn't it, really? Um, won the mini-battle, Australia took the, took the big prize um, at the end. I mean, uh, Chris Jordan, who was player of the match in that England-Australia game, he, he is out here now for the BBL, so England really could play with Australia's heads and just draft him in at some point during the Ashes <laughs> and say, bowlers four overs, take FIFA 17, please, Chris, and we'll score some more points. But yes, I, I'm... I'm of the school that it really won't matter in the slightest jot. The only element where it might, and I touched on it previously, answer, is when you have a player like a David Warner who is such a confidence cricketer that now that he's got the bit between his teeth and the bull is back, at least with the bat sort of thing, I actually I do feel we could be in for something from David Warner this series and take that in however you want it to mean. It could be on a, hopefully not off the field, but kind of like I, I, I do think he... It looks as though he's got a, a final surge of his career in him. And um, I know there's a lot of talk about the Stuart Broad contest again, and it should hopefully be compelling viewing. But if something, if, if that, from Australia's point of view, if that sort of bleeds in from the T20 into the Ashes, then that might be one way that there is a, a small impact. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the fact Australia came home with a trophy and England came home with winning the group game, I yeah, I, I really don't see any, a, 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 any value, particularly how the fact that both teams have now been brought back to an even keel with this preparation or lack of it. Although one one thing I one thing I would say from from England's own journey out there, um, irrespective of winning the trophy, uh, Joss Butler was in sensational form, and you know again Butler feels as though his entire return to Test cricket has been about this series, as far as I'm concerned. His his original re- recall in whatever it was 2018, it was. I think I think it was it was it was as close to a sort of three year plan to build towards having someone like him going out to Australia. You know the way that he's been defended in his in his low patches and and built up in his in his high patches in Test cricket. You sense that when it comes to an Ashes battle, you know, and we saw this in the way that Ben Stokes' absence last time around just basically wrecked any hope of England having any any traction in the series. You've got to have big personalities who are proven 
dominant performers, and he may not have proven it yet in Test cricket on a regular basis, but he's proven it time and time again against Australia and against a lot of these players, the bowlers that will be will be facing. You know, broadly speaking, they're the similar attacks to Test Test cricket, unlike in unlike in England's white ball team. And again, I think almost the the lack of preparation, the lack of opportunity to lose form for him in particular, rather than gain it. Lack of opportunity to lose for means that he he of of all the all the sort of players going into the series, and he kind of said it in, said in his own words in 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 the media the other day. He said, "Like I've got none to lose. What the hell? He's got he's got his uh, his famous oath at the top of his bat handle that he always looks down and glances at, and never has it been more appropriate. He's in he's in gun form in terms of just smoking the ball. Go out there and have a swing. Frankly, I mean, a shot to nothing. And um, I think he this is the sort of stage that will potentially play to play to his his advantage you know he's he's a proven performer on a big stage and this is a stage that you know everyone's walking on with without having re- rehearsed any lines um improvise go for it and i i think it could it could be an opportunity for him to to lay down a marker let's have a rummage through the main questions facing both teams then um England look heavily reliant on Root for runs. Uh, Among batters in the squad, only Root, Stokes, Bairstow and Milan have test experience in Australia. Um, But as a a succession of England captains uh, have discovered, the quest to take 20 wickets uh, can be just as uh, as taxing. and, that, that, and that's on Root's shoulders as well. So <laughs> he's, he's really England's main man here. He really is. I mean, yeah, you're right. The, taking 20 wickets is 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 what wins Test matches. But I, you know, broadly speaking, I don't have any doubt that the bowlers that England have got are capable of doing it. Whether they can do it in a time frame that can win matches in five tests in in five days is 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 really dependent on whether they've got enough runs to defend. So, you know, if if England can do what they did in 2010-11 and put 500 on the board regularly, that's a big bloody if, but <laughs> if they can do that, then then the bleed-em-dry approach that won it out there last time round could win it again. I mean, it, you know, Anderson, Anderson and Broad, you know, for all they're getting on, are, are supreme. Mark Wood, in a, in a mood, could could be epic. Ben Stokes is back. I mean, there, there's there's opportunities here. And, you know, Ollie Robinson, you know, I... I I've talked about similarities with Gus Fraser before, but you know, Ollie Robinson feels like that sort of medium pacer with with ability that can perform on those wickets. And you know, I I I like the, I like uh, what he's likely to bring to that sort of tactic. But yeah, you're right. The runs is crucial. Um, so Root, absolutely massive. But Stokes is back, and that is that is a really really big deal for England because you know instantly it's not just it's not just he provides the balance, but he is also you know, for periods last before he before he his his injury, he was he was actually far better formed than Root. He was carrying England's batting um, uh, for lots of that um, period in twenty nineteen twenty. Um, so that's huge. And if they can get two other guys to get runs, I've already mentioned Butler as a guy who I you know this may be an opportunity for him to 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 do what he what he did in twenty eighteen and you know just come out blazing and and get 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 crucial runs in the Gilchristian mould. But also, you've got to look at the top order and you look back at uh, how England have won previous Ashes or competed in previous Ashes. You look back to Boycott in 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 in, in 70-71. You look at uh, Chris Broad, three centuries in, in 86. You look at Michael Vaughan, three centuries in a losing cause, albeit, but he was magnificent in 2002-03. And you look, obviously, at, at Alistair Cook, three more centuries in 2010. You've got to look at... Those openers, uh, as the people who lay down the marker, they've got the opportunity to you know bed themselves in on what are essentially are really good batting tracks. They're always true, always true bounce, always always reward for your for perseverance and and you know you play your shots and you get your runs. Um, so no pressure, but it's on you, Rory Burns. Frankly, he's got to be the guy to come come forward. He's been talked about as the as the senior batsman in in that top order for a long time now. Um, he's got to find a way to just dig in and 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 get the runs. I mean Hasib Hamid, I would love to see him do well. I do worry that his slightly low-handed technique will be awkward. A lot of a lot of a lot of opportunity for 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 you know gloving it to the gully with with his hands quite so low to the ground. I mean, you know, I'm sure he's been working on on survival methods out there, but I think Rory Burns is, you know, everyone talks about Rory Burns being quirky and inelegant but he's not actually that weird I mean you know he has a strange stance but by the time a ball arrives he's, he's hitting it fairly normally um, 
I think England have got to look at a got to look at their openers to to lay the platform, and then everything else can flow from there. Um, and Nash, I mean, England's plans uh, telegraphed from a long way out for this series were to have a, 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 a phalanx of fast bowlers to <laughs> to take on Australia at their own game. Obviously, that hasn't worked out. There's no Joffre Archer. There's no Ollie Stone. Uh, Mark Wood. We have no idea of how fit he'll be um, throughout the series. Can can the sort of death by right arm medium work uh, in in Australia? You know, from what you've seen of Test matches out there, Jamie, um, not Jamie Overton, Craig Overton, and and Ollie Robinson, who uh, who Miller has mentioned, did have success for the Lions uh, on tour a couple of winters ago. But um, previous England touring teams um, have gone through the uh, through the, the mince meat maker in, um, <laughs> in fielding attacks of that kind. They have, but I, I do think I do think they can do it this time. I mean, this isn't a vintage Australian team. This is this is not a, a great Australian side. They lost, obviously, well known last last season here to uh, an understrength or an India side hit by injuries. We can't call them understrength now because they produce this huge collection of very good players. But um, they are they are not. I mean, they do have Stephen Smith and Manus Lavashane, but there are question marks around the batting. Uh, beyond those two, um, we don't quite yet know who's going to bat number five. Marcus Harris has been given a vote of confidence to open with David Warner. He averages 23 after 10 tests and uh, couldn't hit the ball against uh, Broad and Archer um, two years ago. Uh, there's going to be a new keeper at number seven, um, albeit it looks like it's going to be Alex Carey, and he's a, quite a, a grizzled first-class cricketer now. But um, there's nothing in the Australian batting to sort of scare England beyond the fact that they'll have memories of what Stephen Smith did them two two years ago and if Stephen Smith scores 700 runs Australia probably win the Ashes so it is a lot down to either stopping him scoring quickly enough which is what teams have done successfully in the last two years out here I mean a New Zealand albeit they lost um I mean Neil Wagner was was brilliant it's sort of almost drying him um to a stop at the crease um India then Ashwin tied him up with a with sort of a leg stump line. Again, Smith found a way. He scored a hundred in that series, so you can't see Smith not scoring a hundred or two in this series. But if it takes him, if it takes him time, and they, they don't have time to set up the game, that will mean that games aren't rushing away uh, from England. But I don't think they should be. I don't think England should be sort of like looking at this Australian side, and, and I'm sure they're not, and thinking that there's no way we're going to get past them. They can, eat, especially if there's a bit in the pitches with this weather around. And then, like I said, the pink ball for the second test. If, if they can have Australia uh, 50 for three or three for 50, as I should say, down, down here now, um, on a couple of occasions, they can really get into that side. There is plenty of uncertainty. They've had a, a, a pretty dramatic build-up to things. Um, so, so, so there certainly are some, some glimmers that England can aim at there. Um, and uh, Miller, uh, we've touched a little bit on on sort of Stuart Broad's fitness and and getting overs in the legs of the bowlers, in particular difficulty when when uh, it's raining. Um, should it be or will England be thinking along the lines of Broad or Anderson uh, for these games, uh, or, or is this that temptation to to field the two old stages always going to be too much to to resist? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I I would I would think. Given the given the build up they've had, you've got to throw your best team at this simply because you can trust those two to do what they did pretty much every game they played this this year and just just hit their length straight away. And obviously, it's a different length each time you you go to a different country. But they've been to Australia; they know their length is not the same length they had to bowl in India, which obviously they both did outstandingly, or Sri Lanka or in England. So you know you can trust them to know their game. And that is a crucial factor, I think, going into a, a, into an Ashes in which no one's got any preparation. So, yes, I would. I think you've got to got to throw everything at that at that first test, and then hope that Anderson is capable of backing it up um, as he did. You know, he, his fitness held up last year. I mean, everyone everyone thought that uh, he'd have to rotate, but he, he, he was having none of it. You know, there was that morning of the of the of the Lord's test when we, we thought that was it. Anderson and Broad both finished, but no, Anderson come, come, comes, comes back like Frankenstein. He's how he comes and plays a, plays a blinder, frankly. So he will, he will be gagging to, to go out on a high there and you got to give him the chance to do so. What happens thereafter when you know, get into the, get into the, the, the festive season and, 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 and try to 
you know work work out how to balance it that's that's a different different question and uh, i think frankly you have to come to that having known where the series is is already i mean you know again look back to that 2010 11 series there was rotation galore i mean partly it was forced by broad being injured but in income incomes trembling in the first instance then Breslin doesn't doesn't appear till um Melbourne the fourth test but plays an absolute blinder for the final final two tests and and is a crucial part of England winning the series so every opportunity for for other guys within that squad and and I extend that of course to the Lions squad as well because there's such a weird build-up we've had that there are there are guys lurking in that Lions squad who may have been quietly impressing that we've we we haven't really focused on yet but you know they're they're there they're they're lurking around they're going to have their 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 own practice match um what is it day day after the, the test begins isn't it and so yeah. you know there's going to be going to be bench strength for england to to reinforce as the series goes on but i think for that first test you've just got to throw the absolute best most reliable players you've got and that is obviously broad and anderson um for australia uh, nasha um We've mentioned Payne's clangor. Um, well, given the uh, NSFW SMS exchanging question uh, actually took place during the last Ashes, I wonder if that means the result should be voided uh, somehow. But um, you've you've mentioned, I think, that this possibly um, inadvertently strengthens Australia. Um, how, how does that shape up? You know, the, the wicket keeping and the batting question, and what will the uh, the team? be uh be like under postman pat uh, you know are we are we still looking at nice guy australia do you think here oh, I, I think we're probably looking at even more nice guy australia um <laughs> or, or, or under pat cummins um but just on on the tim Payne thing i mean i i kind of i'm not necessarily in the in the very sort of works for an english paper headline that oh dear they've dropped tim Payne, therefore they're a better team Without them, I mean, his, his his batting, his overall batting average is comparable to Bairstow and Butler in the in the low thirties. Um, he hasn't got the Test hundred, which is obviously the hole in his record. Um, but um, yeah, I I, I'm, I don't think there's a I don't think there's necessarily going to be a massive uptick um, by bringing. It looks like it's going to be Alex Carey, although Josh English is perhaps the more exciting of the two options, and perhaps maybe has the more um, the. the the longer development of a test career to come. So quite how long a test career of Alex Carey has. I mean, look, if he comes in and plays like Adam Gilchrist did, then when he came in to replace Ian Healy, then obviously all bets are off. But um, he feels like a safe pair of hands, Alex Carey. He's been he's been vice-captain of, of, of a number of the setups. He was going to be the reserve keeper on the South Africa tour that never took place. So it would have felt harsh <laughs> if he'd not been the next in line to Tim Payne. Um, yeah, and then you can, you can argue whether it makes them sort of a how it makes them a better side or not, but just, just how they'll play under, under Pat Cummins. I think that will be interesting. I mean, obviously there'll be a lot of watching of how Pat Cummins is a bowler captain. Um, it seems to have been every second question in the last week has been around that. And it's, it's obviously, and the dynamic with Steve Smith is going to be fascinating in what's been pegged as this elevated vice captaincy. Um, it did almost feel like a joint, it almost felt like a joint presidential bid in a way, the kind of the way Pat Cummins and Steve Smith sat there next to each other at the announcement. Pat desperately wanted Steve to be his running mate um, and they and they can do this job together. So, um, and look, I do, and obviously there's the narrative of should Steve Smith ever be in a leadership position again? I do think time moves on. I, I do think he's it, it, we are already talking about a cricket team here and I know it's held to a very high regard down here in Australia but I do think it was time to move on and I do think it's a sensible decision it will be and I think it'll be quite interesting to watch really kind of there will be times where I think where Steve Smith is almost captaining in the field um, and that and that will be interesting um, so it's some very um, watchable uh, dynamics there I think between those two of course the first bad day they have the first catch that Stephen Smith drops at slip off Pat Cummins. Can you imagine the sort of narrative that's going to be spelt out around that even even when it happens and kind of I was reading like I was reading the other day that like if Pat Cummins fields at fine leg for an over, what does it mean? What does it mean? Sort of thing. So there's gonna be a lot of analysis of what goes on with those two in the field. But I do think in the situation they put themselves in, it was the only decision they could make really. Um the vice captain had to be assured of his place in the team, the other options that were there Travis Head, Usman Kawaja, they're playing off for a place between each other. Alex Carey hasn't even made his debut yet, so Nathan Lyons said he didn't want it. So it kind of had to be Steve Smith. So it will be interesting, but um, yeah, I think they've made the the, the correct decision there. Um, how long Pat Cummins is captain, who knows? It might not be a, a five-year stint, but um, I think he'll do a pretty good job. 
and at least he won't have to contend uh, with uh, the Barmy army or at least uh, whoever uh, makes it out there um, with their own there will flags. be there, there, there will be a few <laughs> there, there, there are a few like um, expat enclaves in each city I know <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Brisbane Barmies have been on social media last few days and I do and they'll no doubt in a city like Sydney you're going to be able to find 250 Poms. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not putting my hand up for this one. I have to stay neutral, of course. Um, of course. And uh, but um, but yeah, I do. I do think there will be little <clears throat> pockets of support for England um, in those Test matches. But yes, it certainly won't be like ten years ago or any other series since then. Even when it's been four or five nil, we all know the the Barmy Army keeps singing. But yeah, it will be a bit different. So actually, what the crowds are like actually during this Ashes, it will be interesting to watch. It'll probably, could be different to anything we've seen since pre the Barmy Army existed. Really, we're talking like that. Mid nineties under Athers Athers tour in ninety four five. I mean, yeah, kind of. You're probably going to go back a long way to find an atmosphere like we'll probably see in this series. Uh, well, it's uh, it's touching distance now. Exciting times. Um, before we finish, just want to uh, to touch uh, on or go over the the other major topic uh, uh, of recent weeks. Um, Miller, uh, we we mentioned it at the at the top, but the the. The ongoing um, revelations of, of racism and discrimination uh, in English cricket. Um, the, the ECB published their their action plan for tackling racism. That's what they'll be they'll be focusing on uh, during the the day uh, while the, while the Ashes are get, taking place at night uh, over the coming months. Um, I mean, t- Tom Harris in particular came under. Uh, fire from several quarters, including the government, uh, who, who threatened the creation of an independent regulator. Um, he's said uh, that he has the backing of the game since then. Um, you, you wrote a piece about the, the earthquake that hit uh, English cricket and the, and the fault lines that still exist. Um, what What is to be done? Uh, and, uh, and is Harrison the man to, to steer it? I think on balance he is. I think he his heart's in the right place, even if you know. And I criticised him for the. On, I remember on the very first day in the job, he was he was basically talking in in management nonsense, um, and that was that was around the KP Farango, um, right on the right back in twenty fifteen. So he's always in in times of duress. His default position has been to to just put on his put on his white collar and and talk in management speak, which is very frustrating. But when he when he is at his best, and he has been his best a lot in in his seven year tenure. He is pretty honest and pretty uh, plausible in how he tackles things, and I do believe his heart is in the right place with this one. Um, a lot of the initiatives that have come out of English cricket in the past seven years have had diversity inclusion front and centre of what they want to do, almost getting in front of what he you know he's never quite said it out loud but clearly you know when it when it came to launching the 100 for instance a lot of that was about trying to prize the game away from the counties and have it more central to allow marginalized communities to get more access so he was kind of saying that all along without in not in as many words in that you know the counties are set in their ways for whatever reason that may be it's very difficult to encourage them to see how to do things differently now as I wrote in the piece I wrote the other day, it's all very well focusing on the boardrooms and there's a lot of criticism of Harrison and, and, and a lot of criticism of Yorkshire's board in particular for the way they've shoved things on, under the carpet um, for the best part of 18 months. But actually, I thought of the five points within that plan, I mean, it's a 12-point plan, but divided into five sections, I thought the most crucial section centred around coaching and uh, youth team coaching, essentially. And uh, now I, I did a piece um, for Wisden Almanac a, a few years ago now, 2015, I think it was. So it would have been around the same time that Harrison was first starting this sort of DNI push within ECB, in which I spoke to a lot of the marginalised Asian communities who, you know, have grown up with their own parks leagues and grown up with, um, you know, very much outside of the mainstream of county cricket. You know, a place like Yorkshire, for instance, uh, until 1992, they didn't have anyone playing to the side who wasn't born in Yorkshire. Therefore, you know, a load of the diaspora simply never got a look in. And so you had this this sort of diversified, not not diversified, completely non-diversified, but diverse um setup within the within the um within the counties. And when it came to trying to get kids who clearly had talents from marginalised communities into the system, that's where the blockage occurs. It's it's these youth team coaches, the 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 conduits between talents at age group level and talent entering the academies at county level 
that's where the blockage occurs. You know, you get kids coming up who've who've proven themselves as brilliant in a Parks League and freeze when they get their chance on the big stage at the county county setup. And part of the reason they freeze is they're coming into an environment that's completely alien. There aren't enough coaches who are like them. You know, you talk about the work that's been done recently with Ebony Rainford Brent and her ACE programme. It's essentially trying to trying to reinvigorate the notion that, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And and if you can't, haven't got coaches around you who can sort of reassure you that you're in the right place, don't worry, you play, you play the way we've seen you do this before. If you bottle it in that audition for County, it's like, that's it, sorry, mate, you've had your six balls to try and impress me on your bike. And that's where the problem has arisen. All these kids get to the door, knock at the door, and don't get let in the door because for whatever reason, their faces haven't fitted. And, you know, again, that comes back to what I was saying at the top. That's probably partial definition of institutionalised racism. I don't think any of the coaches there have necessarily drawn a drawn a line through them because of their race per se, but simply because if they if they don't fit, their techniques aren't, you know, pure bread, nice high elbows, all the all the stuff that you, you know, you get through coaching manuals. Um, if they don't fit the mould, um, they don't get the breaks. And so that, for me, is the absolute crucial area for, for the reinvigoration of the game. It's, it's getting that opportunity for youngsters from all communities within cricket to come through the system, enter the system, enter the pathways, as they now as they now prefer to be known. And that pathway, of course, you know, the, a lot of the talk has been about the 41 counties, not 18 counties, you know, 41 including the national counties. All of those are crucial parts of this process. Each of those has got the same, you know, whether it's Norfolk or Dorset or, or, or Yorkshire, they've all got the same obligation to try and, you know, change the way they recruit young players and get them into the system. So that, that for me, is probably the one area the one area that can be addressed most readily. Um, boardrooms, the other the other commitment they've tried to get is 30% uh, uh, female and uh, representative uh, minority representation on on the uh, on their on their boards. Uh, that is going to be tricky, and already it's you know there, there's been a little bit of a bit of a wriggle room uh, written into the into the uh, action plan about uh, comply or explain essentially comply with this obligation by April or explain why you can't comply with this obligation. I dare say a fair few counties will be explaining why they can't. I mean it's all very boring um, in this sen- in essence because boardroom politics is boring, but you know at some stage that's got to change. The, you know the, the the most of the counties are dominated by middle-aged white men I mean that's that's a given and trying to persuade these middle-aged white men that you know perhaps it's time for you to move aside and let someone else who's more 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 diverse have a shot at this uh, I dare say will take a little bit more negotiation to get to that point but um it's got to happen at some stage but like I say if you can get if you can get kids coming through the system in the first place that that will help um no end yeah, um, uh, well, the the plan, uh, as you mentioned, it comes in in twelve parts um, and and covers various uh, elements from dressing room culture, uh, reporting and investigating complaints, uh, boardroom diversity, removing talent barriers, and uh, a commitment of twenty five million in extra funding for uh, equality uh, and diversity and inclusion. So, um, plenty uh, work to be done, and we will be revisiting that topic, I'm sure, over the coming months. Um, Okay, I think that will provide uh, enough of a fix for now. Hopefully it brightens up in Brizzy over the next week. Otherwise, we'll have to start calling it the Splashes. The pod will be running throughout uh, with hopefully a few special guests and maybe even an Australian accent or two. And I don't mean Nasher doing his Mick Dundee impression. Uh, Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Please feel free to rate us on your preferred pod provider and keep up with all the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com. Thank you.